Welcome to Landmark Worship Center's audio podcast. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage your life. So open your heart and mind and receive what God has for you today. and Sister Burke for the opportunity to minister in this pulpit. I know they don't take lightly who they allow to stand up here with a microphone. (laughs) Um, So I want them to know uh, how humble I am to be doing so. But I was told I have 15 minutes and I'm anything but short-winded, so I am going to jump right in. (laughs) And I want to speak to you today on this thought cling to hope cling to hope our theme today is this is my story so I want to take you back to roughly three and a half years ago September 24th 2017 I stood on this same platform with a mic in hand and I told the church that a week before I had found out that I was five weeks pregnant, but I'd started having complications. At that point, I had had blood work done um, to determine some of my hormone levels, which would signify whether my pregnancy was still in tow or whether I had miscarried. I was still waiting on those results when I stood up here that day. And I said to this church, I believe that I am six weeks pregnant. It took a lot of guts to do that, and I had a fair amount of self-doubt, but I just wanted to have strong faith, and I wanted to speak that faith. See, just a few days before, I was sitting at home, alone, in a room, away from my husband, because both of us were hurting so badly, we couldn't really talk to each other, we didn't have any words to say. And what I felt was similar to the emptiness that accompanies the devastating betrayal of someone that you loved deeply. Not the betrayal itself, but the emptiness that follows is what I felt sitting in that living room by myself. But as quickly as one could flip a switch to illuminate a room where the emptiness had pervaded inside of me, I now felt hope. And so I quickly recalled the many times I had heard of doctors being proven wrong, of impossible situations turning around, of Lazarus walking out of the tomb. So I began encouraging myself, believing that even though everything pointed to miscarriage, that that wasn't the case. So Sunday came, and I mustered up my courage, and I made a faith proclamation in front of the entire congregation. And when Monday came, and the nurse's voice over the phone confirmed the miscarriage, I was embarrassed. God, why did you let me feel that way when you knew that nothing would actually change? Why did you give me false hope? If there's anything I know about God, it's that he's not afraid of the hard questions. But in his mercy, he is also not afraid to answer them. You weren't wrong to have hope, he said. But that was it. That's all he said. So I was left with an embarrassed ego, a barren womb, and an open-ended answer. God had spoken to me himself, and that didn't bring the clarity that I felt I needed, so all that was left to do was to go to his word. When writing to the church in Corinth, the apostle Paul said, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. 
He also said to the church in Philippi, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In other words, real life is living as Christ lived. And when I die, I won't lose a thing. To the Thessalonians, he wrote, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, or rather, dead, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Hope for what? What hope is Paul talking about? He goes on, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, Even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. I was filled with hope that day because hope is real. But the reality that I missed is that while we rejoice in hope, We also suffer in hope. We grieve, but not the same way the world does. Without hope of ever seeing our loved ones again, without hope that pain will cease and everlasting joy will replace it for all of eternity, without confidence that every aspect of our lives is working together for our good and for the the good of the entire bride of Christ. I had hope, but it was terribly short-sighted, resting in the now. And it's not that God didn't want me to have children, and it's not that God wanted me to look foolish making such a declaration as I did. I wasn't wrong to believe that God could do something like that. And even that he wanted to. It wasn't wrong. But I felt wrong. I felt foolish. I felt wrong for getting up in front of an entire congregation and making a faith proclamation that didn't come true. Something I have learned... over the last probably six years is that it is always God's will to heal. But many times, the healing does not come until eternity. And that's okay. It doesn't mean that we don't have enough faith. On the contrary, it means that we do. If we continue walking towards Christ, even when our hopeful expectations do not come to pass, it means that we are walking by faith and not by sight. When they were about to be thrown into the furnace for refusing to worship an idol, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not... Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. That is faith. It is faith to say, he is able, but if he doesn't, he is still good, and I will still serve him. Because my hope rests in something beyond what I experience here and now. It still matters to God, of course. He sees every sparrow that falls, so how much more does he love and have concern for our needs? But truly, he does know our needs far better than we do. Paul told the Corinthians that godly grief produces a repentance 
that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. In our hope for heaven, we don't write off the life that we're living right now. We don't, as it were, kick our cans into heaven and say, well, we're going to live forever in eternity, so there's, it doesn't matter as much here, but it does. We cling to the hope that in every disappointment and ocean of pain, that is not all that there is. We live through the pain. We walk through the pain. We trust in him through every circumstance. But we trust him because he doesn't lie. Because he's never failed. Because his promises are yay and amen. And he has told us that there's more. That's why we hope. Pain may be the bulk of what we know here. It may be all we ever know here. But here is just the beginning of the beginning. Again, Paul, I think I really love that guy. He wrote to the Romans, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. There is more. There is so much more. And that's what my story has helped me to understand. But my story is not the only one in here. I know that Mother's Day can be a very difficult day. It's surrounded with Hallmark cards and flowers being sent and celebration and hugs and laughter, and it should. It should be filled with those things. But there are so many hidden pains in so many people because of motherhood. Some mamas miss their babies, and some of us babies miss our mamas. Some of us didn't have good moms. Some of us had absentee moms. And so I know that this day can be surrounded with heaviness that you don't want other people to see because they're celebrating and you want to rain on their parade. But I, I felt today that, that I should do this. And it does make me a little uncomfortable. Um, I want to open the opportunity for anyone who will, who has lost a child or multiple children to miscarriage, abortion, stillbirth, or death after birth, to stand with me. And I don't want anyone to be uncomfortable. or to feel like you have to. Look at all these strong women. To you I say, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Don't be afraid of sharing your pain. Paul said that comfort, God comforts us all in our affliction so that we can comfort those who are in affliction with the same comfort with which God comforts us. Your story has significance. Your pain has power. And your faith will bear fruit. Thank you for standing with me today. Today is not just for mothers. These words that I say, that they will say. But everyone can relate 
a Mother's Day. We all have moms. But I feel that today, God wants us to be honest and open about our pain. If you go to the doctor because you have an ache, you're going to have to answer questions. He's going to ask you very specific questions. Where is the ache and how often does it happen? Is it dull? Is it sharp? Are any other symptoms occurring at the same time? Do you have headaches or dizziness or nausea, etc.? And you've got to answer those questions. Otherwise, you might be misdiagnosed or a deeper problem might go unnoticed. And God is the physician, the great physician. And he wants to heal. Everyone who will, everyone who's willing, he wants them to have healing. Emotional healing, spiritual healing, relational healing. That's what he does. But sometimes the bandage has to be ripped off and the wound exposed in order for the healing process to actually start. It is good to grieve. That sounds so countercultural to what we think, especially in the church, because we're living for the Lord and we're saved and we're filled with the Spirit and we have joy everlasting. So turn that frown upside down. <laughs> and sometimes I have to admit that it's a little exhausting. If I'm in such a deep, dark place and my grief is not recognized by those who are closest to me, I don't think I can heal properly. My wounds need to be cared for before I just cover them up and let them heal improperly. And then we'll have to start this whole ugly process over again. But I was fortunate to have so many people who had traveled the road of miscarriage before to comfort me, to just hug me. They didn't even have to tell me that everything was going to be okay because I knew, I knew everything would be okay. But even David wasn't afraid. The man after God's own heart was not afraid to be brutally honest with God about his anger, about his pain, about his fear. If you trust somebody and they start doing something that you feel goes against their character, or you see things, patterns in their life starting to happen that you think that's not that person, if you trust them, you go to that person and you confront them about it. So going to God when we think that things aren't going the way that they should be going is not a lack of faith. It's showing God that we trust him. I trust that you are who you say you are, so what's happening right now? What's going on? And he will answer. And it might hurt, <laughs> but he's going to be faithful. And he's going to help you to walk through the pain, and to remember that there's more. That one day there won't be pain. That we have the hope of heaven. We who are the redeemed.
Thank you, Pastor. But most of all, I want to thank Jesus today. I get to be an ambassador. I realized that this morning. I get to be an ambassador, and some of you have not heard some of my testimony, but I am going to tell you about the greatest love story ever written. The greatest, Austin. <laughs> I love a good love story. What can I say? I'm a romantic at heart, a frugal romantic, but I'm a romantic. Um, so, uh, I'm going to start with a day long before July 10th, 1958. I'm dating myself. <laughs> there was a God in heaven who wrote a book with deep love, with real sincerity and earnestness, and page by page he spent time writing each day, making sure that goodness was in each page, that grace would be enough for that one, and love covered all the pages. And there was these awesome, wonderful, incredible experiences that he planned on every page. And some of them were going to be tough because he knew she was a wimp and needed to grow. <laughs> um, and on those pages, he also wrote uh, what Sister Burke and I now call unassigned abilities. The world calls them weaknesses. <laughs> I like unassigned abilities better. <laughs> Things like uh, severe learning disabilities, um, a heart that was lived outside instead of inside all of her life. And on July 10th, 1958, that book was open and he named it Lonnie. But I didn't know that. He did. And I can prove it. Uh, Psalm 139, thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, in which in continuance were fashioned, as yet there were none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto Lani, O God, how great is the sum of them. So he placed me in the family that he wanted me, and I love my mom and my dad and my brothers and my sisters. I love the family he gave to me. But over 18 years, I learned who I was. And when I left home, I knew a few things. I knew I was fat. I knew I was very, very ugly. I knew I was very stupid. <laughs> I knew I was the scourge of the family and the reason everything went wrong. And I knew that I had to take any guy that came along because I was not allowed to be loved in marriage. I knew that. And where that led me was uh, into a life of debauchery, <laughs> looking for love in all the wrong places. I wasn't looking at this book that was written for me. I didn't even know that book. I had no idea it was written. And... Um, and so I found myself having an illegal abortion at five months at 18 years old. And, uh, okay, abortions were legal back then, but at five months they were definitely illegal. And um, the doctor used the wrong tools and totally destroyed my womb. And the only thing I ever wanted to be was a wife and a mom. And I'm not saying that lightly. That's the only thing I ever wanted to be as a kid. And so when he got done and held up that bag, that Ziploc bag that was my baby, and you could see tiny little arms in there, he looked at me and said, well, there goes your problem. You'll never have that again. We used the wrong tool. And he totally destroyed my womb. Totally. So not only did I lose a child that I knew was a baby and not a problem, I also lost the ability to ever have children, and I went straight into alcoholism, and within three years, Jack Daniels was my date and my best friend, <laughs> who needed ice and water to mix him with. Jack Daniels out of the bottle was just fine for me. Um, but I had to hide all of this, so I would go to work, uh, 
sick. No, I went to work drunk. <laughs> Let's just put it mildly. Um, anyways, um, and I ended up in a very sordid lifestyle trying to find love. So there's kids in the room, so I won't go anywhere farther than that. Um, and there was a lady at my job uh, that just knew Jesus. And we would always argue Lutheran and Catholic and all that. Anyways, Linda would always just say, well, you know, we would ask her, what do you think? And she said, well, it doesn't matter what I think. It just the Bible says. And I am telling you, there were a few times that I wanted to knock her lights out. And I got right up close and it took the other women holding me back because I would have knocked her lights out. But there came a day, can you believe it? Oh my Lord, one time I got right up into her face and I said, Linda, you just need to shut up from now on because she, she had what I wanted. <laughs> Anyways, I got fired for insubordination and um, I was engaged to be married and dead inside and um, I was at home vacuuming the floor, and I sat on the vacuum cleaner. And for two years, I had searched churches. I went to Catholic, I went to Mormons, I went to uh, Seventh-day Advent, you name it, they went it. I never heard of Penta what? Penta who? But I went to every other kind of church there was. <laughs> and there was nothing there, it was dead. And so I was sitting in my living room, and I shook my hands at heaven. And I said, God, if you're alive, you need to show me today. I don't even know if you're real. I don't even know if you know me. I don't even know if you care. But if you're real, you have got to show me today. I had my fiance's gun with me, and I, uh, I know just enough about guns to be very, very dangerous, and, and I was gonna use it. I knew I could, and I was not gonna live beyond that day. When you're dead, folks, you're dead. I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't live anymore not knowing I wasn't loved. My mother reminded me regularly. Uh, she would even call and say, remind me of who I was. Anyways, um, I heard the name, say, a, a voice. Now I know it was probably an angel. It was God. Uh, say, go see Linda. So I ran to the place I just got fired from. They let me find Linda. And that night I went to church with her. But now remind me. I'll remind you. I, became, I was in this middle of this not good lifestyle. So she said, I'm going to take you to church tonight. And you're going to meet Jesus. I run home, Juwan. And I, had, I took the only few skirts I had out and tops. And I had to start stitching up slits. <laughs> and stitching up tops. My slits in my skirts came up to here. <laughs> What can I say? <laughs> they were the hems came down to here and the slits came. The dresses came. I was starting to, I was trying to stitch up some clothes that I could at least look decent when I went. Went to church that night. I, no, I did Let's back up. She told me to go home and repent. Lutherans don't repent. I'm just telling you guys, Lutherans don't repent. Had no idea what repentance meant. Clueless. She said, you go home and ask God to forgive you. I said, I can sure do that if that's all I've got to do. So I went up into my bedroom and I begged God to forgive me for my abortion and my alcoholism and my lifestyle that I knew was wrong. And a light like I've never, ever seen filled that bedroom. I mean, engulfed the bedroom. And I felt a thing that I'd never felt before, and it scared me so much that I ran out of the house and ran down the street and stayed walking the city for a couple hours because I was afraid to go home. I didn't know what that was. But I had to go home because she was coming to get me. So I went home, got dressed, sat on the porch, and waited for her. And when I walked in that little Pena what her what church, <laughs> I'd never heard of Pentecost, I felt the same thing I felt in my bedroom. I had no idea what it was, folks. I'm not making fun. I had no idea what that feeling was. We sat down, we worshiped, and that feeling just got stronger and stronger, and my shame grew bigger and bigger. I'm like, I should not be here. And then the pastor's wife got up and said, there's somebody here, get the Holy Ghost. And I thought, well, Linda told me about this Holy Ghost stuff. I'll get to see what it is. And the pastor's wife calls me up. <laughs> Linda, bring your friend. <laughs> so all right. Um, so I went up to the altar with Linda, 
And the pastor's wife said, um, you need to repent. And I said, I did. And she goes, good, do it again. It doesn't ever hurt to do it some more. <laughs> I said, you've got it. And when I repented in that church, it felt like buildings were taken off of me. That's what forgiveness felt like. I'd never known forgiveness. I came from a family who does not know how to forgive. They're living in their own brokenness, and you are never forgiven for anything. My mother's 92, and she'll still remind you what I did it for when I was four years old. Um, and she said, just lift your hands, honey, and raise your hands, and you'll get the Holy Ghost. And I'm like, okay, if it's not going to hurt me. I lifted my hands, said one hallelujah, and spoke in tongues for two hours. <laughs> It was incredible. And instantly, God split alcoholism off of me. It was instant. And I went with a hangover. And it was an instant, complete, permanent deliverance. He healed my womb. I have two babies. They're both miracle babies. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus for Carly and Ben. And I loved the Lord and I served him with all of my heart, all of my heart. So I'll fast forward. Uh, someday maybe, uh, maybe pastor will give me a chance to tell you some of the unbelievable miracles that Carly and Ben and I have lived through. Just like, you're kidding, that really happens? Kind of miracles. <laughs> um, so through the, I'm living for God and my husband never got saved. Um, but he did go to church. He got baptized, but he never gave his heart. And um, so, so I'm going to just rip you really fast through 20 years. In the 20 years, there was a lot of abuse. Um, severe betrayal from my husband. And because of his, uh, he was an alcoholic and uh, what do you call it when you're betting? Gambler. An addicted gambler. Um, and he was addicted to a lot of other things. And he, his betrayal was, um, it was a Hiroshima for me. And then, because of his betrayal, we were asked to leave the church. Because they didn't want our kind in the church. And it wasn't a private betrayal. It was a public one in front of the whole congregation that we would not be allowed to speak or be with the people of the church anymore because of Michael's choices. And uh, as I grew in God, I knew my love for him. But folks, I want to tell you, here's the piece I missed in all of the betrayals. And my mom betrayed me in the middle of it and said it was my fault. And uh, here's the piece I missed. I missed my identity in him. The whole 20 years through uh, severe spousal abuse and, and my best friend betrayed me in it because they believed Michael. But... Um, and I love those people, so I don't want any hard feelings. They were living out of their own brokenness, too. Um, here's what I missed. I missed that I really was God's, and I didn't have to prove it, and I didn't have to perform so that he would love me. I thought love was based on performance, and if I got it right and my dresses were long enough, that he would love me. And if I prayed enough, and yes, prayer is vital because it's a love relationship, but I missed the point that he loved me. I missed that part. And after the war with, that's what I, after all of the betrayal, there was a day I, I was okay, and then I watched my kids being devoured. And there was a day when I walked over and quietly shut the door to God and said, please take my book away. I don't want it anymore. And I walked out of the church. 
and I became the prodigal that I never thought I would be. I never thought I would walk from God, but I couldn't understand how you could go through all that and somebody love you, and I never understood who I really was. So you know what my story is now? I finally get it. I finally get this thing. I'm in him. Here's my story. Ephesians 2.10, my Sunday school kids, that we've had every Sunday since October. For I am his workmanship. I am created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that I should walk in them. The hardest thing I've ever done is walk into this church. Harder than my master's degree? That was hard. <laughs> Harder than raising Ben and Carly? Ben's a, ben was a challenge. And you're going to meet him very soon. God's working on his heart. Wait till you see him. I love him to death, but it's hard to raise gifted kids when you're not gifted. <laughs> I am his workmanship. And when I walked in that door, I finally understood my identity in Christ is because of his love for me, not because of my love for him. <laughs> and you folks that have walked or know people that walk, I want you to go home and tell them, love is enough. In all the stuff I went through, I thought love wasn't enough anymore, but I want you to go back and tell them, the story ends when you finally get it. Love is enough. Love is enough. And my identity in him is who he said I am. And you know what? I am the light of the world. If you can't see it, then I'm going to pray harder that you can. But I am the light of the world because he says that I am. I have work to do right here with you folks because he says that I have. I have an identity in Jesus. Sydney. I am his girl. I finally get it. Michael didn't have to love me to be God's girl. I didn't. He loved me when I was kicked out of that church because of my husband. He still loved me. I didn't know it then, but I finally get it now. It's the love that covered all those pages. And he opened that book up, and one day he put on there, have her get fired from teaching so that she can have a U-turn and come back to church in a place where she knows she's loved and she can finally find her identity. So when you're talking to prodigals, remember, some kind of Hiroshima happened to them somewhere along the line. And somewhere their identity got taken away and they forgot who they are. And they forgot somewhere that loves enough. They stopped believing. And so you just start praying love into their lives. They don't have to hear you. You don't have to do it to their face. You start praying faith back into their lives. You start praying the love of God and their identity back into their lives. Make sure they know who they are. It's hard being out there. You guys know it. Here's my last one, and it's for all of us. Never saw this. How many people have read 1 John? The whole chapter, just 1 John. I'm sure every one of you can raise your hands. I've read it at least 50 times, at least. Never saw verse 16. <laughs> you know how you read scriptures, Freddie, and it's like, where'd that come from? <laughs> Getting ready for today. The Lord, said, <laughs> the Lord said, I said, God, what do you want me to talk about? He said, go to John. I'm like, John, I've read John. I've read John at least 50 times. You want me to go back to John? Yes. All right, I'll go back to John. So I stopped at verse 14. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. I'm like, Lord, that's a good one. He goes, no, keep reading. <laughs> and I get to verse 16. And of his fullness have all we received and grace for grace. He said, that's it. That's it. That's it. Every one of us have a book and a story to tell, and it's our gift to the world. And all we have received, including Lonnie, including me, we've received his fullness, Timothy. Do you know what that means? It's not just the stuff. It's not just the acts he does for us. It's who he is. 
We get to get it. We get to have it. We get to have that love and that goodness and that joy and the drunk in the Holy Ghost. I'll be drunk every day I can in the Holy Ghost. It feels so awesome. <laughs> but this, then he said, keep reading, grace for grace. Lonnie, you're allowed to trade in the old grace, the old stuff, and you're allowed to get new grace today. I'm allowed to have new grace for today. So when I mess up again, Brother Ayers, and I will, <laughs> Isn't it awesome that I get to have another new grace for right now? It doesn't matter that we mess up. What matters is we reach back and hang on again and know that when I reach for that hand, that hand is reaching for me. And he's covering it all and he's bringing healing to my war. Soon you'll be seeing Carly and Ben. Very soon, you'll be seeing Carly and Ben. I thank God for the story he's given me. It's been pretty ugly sometimes. But I thank God for the story he wrote. And on those pages were written, you turn aloud, let me take the wheel, and I'll drive you back home. And this is home. Isn't that marvelous? <laughs> that marvelous. Thank you very much for listening. God is so good. Tell those prodigals, get back home. It's worth it to come back home. Well, those, those uh, two teachings were amazing. <laughs> And it gives me confidence now because the enemy has been working overtime on me, <laughs> trying to discourage me from what I felt in the, in the speak today. Um, even up until the moment I walked in the building today, um, I was questioning every word that I was to speak. And I know that's of the enemy because of what I have is not light and it needs to be heard. I'm going to read a scripture, uh, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 6. Uh, that's Chronicles. <laughs> Corinthians. <laughs> I was like, wait, am I wrong or is he wrong? <laughs> okay, so I'm going to, all right, I'll just start reading. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all of our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. So, those scriptures spoke a lot to me because it's exactly falls in line with a lot of what has already been spoken. So, I will talk about a little bit about my calling. Um, back when I was a teenager, I was called to be an intercessor. Uh, God spoke to me in a youth youth van as I was battling um, the enemy in prayer. And he said that you're gonna be an intercessor. And I looked it up on Google, to be honest. <laughs> and I was like, what is that? You just pray, I don't understand. <laughs> and then people prophetically professed that I was gonna be an intercessor as well. And I still was confused. And through all these years, I still didn't understand it. It, was, it wasn't until a couple of years ago that I actually understood God gave me the knowledge of what being an intercessor was like. He allowed me to see the spiritual realm and opened my ears to hear God's voice so continually that it never ceased. I knew and saw things that I had never seen before. I started to feel like I was kind of going insane. <laughs> I felt mental because I kept hearing God's voice over and over and over and I couldn't shut it off. And I started to question if this was normal. So what I did, 
I got scared, normally, and I just shut God out. And I was like, no, 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 I'm not, I can't do this. So the reason I listened to the voice in my head, the enemy, and believed that I wasn't capable. I believed in my flesh. I made myself believe that this calling was not for me. It was not my own. There's this term in psychology called ACE, Adverse Childhood Experiences. These are potentially traumatic events that occur in childhood from birth to 17 years. Also included are aspects of a child's environment that can undermine their sense of safety, stability, and bonding. And sadly, 61% of adults have experienced an ACE growing up. These ACEs get carried over into our adulthood, affecting our self-image, our personal relationships, and causing depression. For many of us, we could say, that was me. That was my life growing up. Maybe mom and daddy, maybe they abused you verbally, physically. Maybe it was a relative or a family friend. Maybe you were neglected as a child, felt alone, had no one to turn to. You had to take care of your siblings because no one else would do it. Maybe your house was riddled with drugs and alcohol. Yet these childhood experiences make up who we are. Then we question God. Why? Why? Why did you put me through this? That's who we turn to. Why did you not protect me from these things that I went through? I had to ask God specifically these questions, not because of my own childhood, but in writing this lesson today because I didn't even understand it. These innocent children that God is allowing it. Why is it that this, sometimes this happens to us? And then God specifically spoke to me so directly in that moment, and he said to me, never did I say that I would protect anyone from sin. I'm going to say that again. Never did I say that I would protect anyone from sin. Man is naturally sinful, and God gave us that free will. We will be hurt by others because of sin, and we will hurt others because of sin too. That comes with the territory of the world that we live in. It's wicked. We can't expect these people that took care of us to be perfect. They're not God. But some of you blame God for it. Your hurt and tainted earthly relationships have defined how you approach your relationship with God. And this is where Satan comes in. Satan uses your hurt for leverage. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation or our comfort also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your comfort and your salvation. It does not say that this life that we live will be easy. And I know you've heard that many times. But it does say that God will be our comfort. Even David, what did David say in Psalms? He says, how long, O Lord? How long will you forget me? Forever? Forever? Even David went through it. He was afflicted and he was like, why am I suffering? Why am I going through this? Stories over and over in the Bible. We're not alone. But you know what? Every time, who did they turn to? There is a purpose in our suffering. It says in the scripture, our affliction is for our salvation. It strengthens us if we let it. How we respond and act on our affliction is everything. 
Well, maybe you're sitting here and you're saying to yourself, well, I grew up in a Christian home. I had a loving and perfect childhood. None of this really pertains to me, really. I didn't go through that much. Maybe it was, but I know we're all humans, and I know your decisions were not perfect. Maybe you've struggled with inadequacy, your self-esteem, condemnation from mistakes that you've made, depression, fear. Maybe you still give in to temptation. All of these thoughts and feelings are tools of the enemy. And those who experienced a lesser childhood, Satan is using your hurt against you. Satan bombards your mind to distract and discourage you from your calling and your relationship with God. That is what he did to me. That is why I did not walk into my calling. I thought, oh, I can't do that. I physically cannot do that. You're right. I cannot physically do that. You know why? Because God gives me the strength to walk into my calling. Are you going to let the enemy take what is rightfully yours. You need to take back your relationship with God. You need to take back your calling. And if you have not done it yet, you need to do it. Stop blaming God. Stop treating God like your earthly father. He's not. Stop acting like he is the one who let you down. Stop acting like he is the one who hurts you and that trust is obsolete. Stop asking him why. I want us to start seeing him as our healer. Your healer. Start seeing him as the father who loves you unconditionally without judgment or concern of your past mistakes and baggage. God loves you so much. Why don't we all stand? Our story does not have to define who we are. God defines who we are. I'm going to ask us all to come. If you want to start over and begin a fresh new relationship with God, then I ask you to do that. If you want to walk into your calling, I think it's time. If my heart could tell a story